We're on a mission from God. And now for something completely different. This is Pastor Jolly John Lekomsky coming to you from Northfield, Minnesota. And I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark coming to you from picturesque South St. Louis, where I serve as pastor at Ascension Lutheran Church. And this is Wrestling Wrestling with with the the Basics coming to you on Wednesdays and Saturdays now. Boy, if that doesn't tell you how desperate the radio station must be getting, (laughs) that they're broadcasting us twice, twice a week. It's the so, so nice they broadcast it twice, John. (laughs) So I tell you what, we're going to jump right in here. We usually do some silliness, but we have too much serious stuff to share with you today because I do want to pick up just a couple of things from last week's episodes. We we were wrestling with uh, the fact of what happens when when a, a believer dies. And we we concluded by saying, we don't know. We don't know exactly. What we do know is, number one, that they're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that for a fact. Today, you'll be with me in paradise, right? Um, And and the other thing we know, as you pointed out last week, Paul says, that's what what kind of thing is that to be with Jesus? Oh, that's gain. Yeah, that's better by far compared to this life. So don't, don't, you know, think, oh, I feel so sorry for my loved one. No, no, trust me. They've got a lot better than you and I do there in the Lord Jesus, even though we don't know exactly what that place is like. And Luther actually, and, and this shows again, maybe we need to, uh, we, you know, we, we, just, we just work with the New Testament and the Old Testament. We don't believe in those apocryphal books. And, and we need to remember that the uh, early church fathers and Luther, they used the Apocrypha all the time. And when he was wrestling with this question about where, where, what's going on with uh, our loved ones after they die, he loved to quote the wisdom of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. You got it there in your King James Apocrypha? Oh, I've got it, yeah. And, you know, there, there is a Lutheran study version of the Apocrypha now that I think is worth picking up, where it has notes, footnotes that help to explain it from a Lutheran perspective. So I think it's a helpful tool. Uh, but yeah, anyway, we, yeah. We, we never based our doctrine off of the Apocrypha because mm-hmm. that, that's why it's the Apocrypha. There were people that we're not sure where that fits in, but it was certainly a part of, of uh, uh, our, our history and, and the church certainly used those books. And I, I, I'll shut up and you can read it. <laughs> yeah, so we're worth reading and knowing though. Okay, and here we go. Yeah. Uh, but the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God and there shall no shall be no torment that touch them. In the sight of the unwise, they seem to die, and their departure is taken from misery, and they're going from us to be utter destruction, but they are in peace. So, you know, isn't that a great passage? Because it's so true. That's how we look at it. Oh, my goodness, they, they've departed. Destruction, misery. And, and the testimony of the scriptures clearly, no, no torment shall touch them. They are in 
peace. Yeah. And no matter what circumstance was of death, too, I think, yeah. uh, whether it's a long and drawn out cancer or whether it's a, an accident or whether whatever it is, if they die in Christ with, with faith in Christ. Right. Um, we've got this promise that, yeah, they're, they're in the hands of God. And that's a beautiful promise, no matter the circumstance. Uh, we who are left, yeah, we're we're mourning, but but they're not they're not yeah. they're not mourning, they're not regretting. Uh, they are in God's hands. Yeah, and, and Matt, boy, I really appreciate what you said there. So be it be it something that happens at a young age, tragically, be it something that is a, a long illness. Uh, but yeah, that was that's part of this world, but that isn't a part of the next world. No, no, they are at peace. And I just had a couple of quotes from Luther that we didn't get to read last week, and I wanted to ha share them with you. If you wouldn't mind reading, uh, I have often tried to observe. Sure. I've often tried to observe the moment of time at which I either fall asleep or awaken. But I've never been able to detect it or prevent sleep from coming upon me unexpectedly and before I thought it would. Our death and resurrection will also be like this. We depart and we return on the last day before we are aware of it, nor do we know how long we have been away. Yeah, and, and uh, I like this passage because that's how I've always thought about it. You know, the Bible says it'll be like the twinkling of an eye. And, and I've often wondered, we're, we're debating what are these people doing? What, what are their experiences? But, but it could be that we just go to sleep. And just like it is when we go to sleep on earth, when we wake up, all of a sudden here it's morning, and maybe that's what it'll be like. We die, and the next thing we know in the blink of an eye, we're being resurrected with all of our uh, loved ones uh, and, and ready to join Jesus in the blessings of heaven. Although Luther does take another tack on this, because that is the image. We, we talked about the image is always the image of sleep, the image of rest. The Bible does use that picture over and over again for those who have died. But here's another way of looking at sleep, our rest. One final quote from Luther. Okay. Uh, consequently, is that the one we're looking uh, no, at, John? No, no. A, a man no, tired. Very with his daily okay. Labor. A man tired uh, with his daily labor sleeps, but his soul does not sleep, but it is awake. It experiences visions and the discourses of the angels and of God. Therefore, the sleep in the future life is deeper than it is in this life. Nevertheless, the soul lives to God, and is this is the likeness to the sleep of life. Yeah, so it's kind of like what you talked about uh, last week, Matt, that, that when we rest, that doesn't mean that our minds aren't active. And, and so maybe that's what it's like. Maybe they are resting and they are conscious of the presence of Jesus, the glory of the angels and whatever. And frankly, we don't know. We don't know whether it's simply you go to sleep and the next moment you awake or it's a matter that you go to sleep and maybe you are having all of these visions of angels and of peace. But that we do know. That's the one thing we do know. There is no torment. And any view then of what it's like after uh, the believer dies that involves any kind of torment, uh, limbo, or, or purgatory, well, that that's just absolutely contradictory to what the Scripture says. As Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. Yeah. All right. Well, enough of that stuff, because you've yeah. got. And, and is this the wrap up for Jeremiah? Are we done well, with dear old I, Jeremiah? I think we'll be finished up with Jeremiah. Just one last thing, you know, about oh, yeah, death, yeah, John. I, I just think, uh, you know, I, I often think we the Bible doesn't reveal to us everything we want to know about heaven. That's for sure. Yeah. And about especially at the moment of our death. Uh, but it does reveal to us what we need to know. <laughs> and what we need uh -huh. to know is to be in Christ in this life. And that promise that we'll be in him and with him uh, in our death, too. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, there's great comfort in that. 
Yeah, nice summary. And, and I, I bring out that verse from last week, too. We will be taken to our people, which to me, that's such a comforting thing to know that we'll be with Jesus and we will be with all these that we've loved and cared for here. Yes. Um, where do you want us to go for Jeremiah? Okay, yeah. So so we've been looking at Jeremiah. And if, if you've been listening, especially on Saturday mornings, uh, you've, you've heard Jeremiah throughout these uh, summer months and now into the fall. This is sort of the last installment. So we want to look at Jeremiah chapter 38. Chapter 38. All There's a lot crazy of things. stories. And I know, I know. Yeah. There's a lot of things in Jeremiah that people probably aren't familiar with, um, or maybe they, they've read but really haven't unpacked. Um, things like the dirty loincloth, the dirty underwear we talked yeah. about a few weeks ago. You love uh, that one, don't you? Remember? I know, I do up. love okay. it. And it's, just, there's, it's not, and just the meaning behind it too. Uh, but it's kind of a fun story as well. Uh, this do, time, do you use that as an excuse not to change your underwear? Is that? Yeah, I, that I know. keeps coming up. Lisa, it's biblical. I don't. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jake. Um, you're no Jeremiah, man. Yeah, you're no Jeremiah, right Pastor yeah, Clark. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lisa said, "Hey, oh yeah." yeah. So anyway, th- this is, I think, if, if if people are somewhat familiar with Jeremiah, the longest book of the Bible, word wise, this is probably. One of the accounts, maybe the account that they would be familiar with. All right, uh, it's this this account of Jeremiah in the cistern, in the cistern. Uh, so uh, we'll we'll get to that, and we'll unpack a little more what a cistern is. Uh, but let's uh, go ahead and start thir- chapter three, verses one through three. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, John, I, I saved this just you sure for you. sure you don't want to read those verses, man? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm sure. It's, it's all you, John. You go ahead. <laughs> now, Shephatiah, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gadaliah, the son of Pashur, Jukul, the son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, the son of Malachi. Thank you. Heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. Who are these people, Matt? Well, we, we are just we are going to call them the Gang of Four. Okay. <laughs> After we beat all their names, uh, so yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, you, you go, keep right, on reading. We'll kind of right. we'll kind of see that. Okay. All right. Thus says the Lord: He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall be surely be taken into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. Keep reading, Matt. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's good. So, yeah, ver- okay. ver- verse three. That's great. Um, so, yeah. So what what's Jeremiah's message here that he's preaching? You better get the hell out. <laughs> that's right. Amen. <laughs> Sermon over. Uh, so it is it is the same message. That Jeremiah has been preaching for a while now. Yeah. Uh, that it's a message of warning. Uh, the situation is desperate. The city's under siege and under siege by the most powerful military force in the world, really at the time, the Babylonian army. They're camped outside the walls of Jerusalem. They're cutting off the supply lines. Rations are running low. There's no water left in the cisterns that collect water. Just mud. And uh, so it's easy to see why uh, these guys who are sort of uh, advisors to the king, these guys, uh, these leaders in Jerusalem are mad because what's what does Jeremiah preach? Like you said, get out. Uh, yeah. Defeat is inevitable. Victory is impossible. It's best, basically his message: surrender or die. Hmm. Um, but again, we you know we keep in mind why he preaches that message. It's it's not Jeremiah's message. It's God's message. Uh, 
And it's not because the Babylonians are invincible, but it's because God is fighting on their side. (laughs) At this time, God is using them as his instrument uh, to discipline his people of Judah. Uh, So, yeah, it's not that they're indefeatable, but it's because, well, God is on their side in this instance, and he's using them as his instrument. And so Jeremiah says, yeah, surrender or die, get out. And and, and Matt, it just struck me uh, that, that... we, we've, been, we've been watching some of these TV shows about World War II, and if you had spoken that way in Britain, no, yeah. you know, they, they, were, yeah. they were being besieged. And if you said words like that in Britain, that would have been considered an act of sedition, and you could have been imprisoned or even hanged for talking like that. Or thrown into a cistern, like Jeremiah. Thrown into a cistern, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, yeah, Winston Churchill, what's one of his favorite quotes, never, never, never give up, I think. Um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, surrender would have not been a popular message. The difference is um, Nazi Germany was not God's instrument, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the Babylonians are. We have that clear word from the Lord that God's working through them uh, to bring this about. Yeah. Okay, so uh, as you can imagine, like uh, yeah, Great Britain in the the nineteen forties, uh, they would it would not be a popular message. Well, Jeremiah's message wasn't popular either, uh, even though it was from God. So let's read verses four and five and see what what they decide to do. Okay, so the same thing that they would have done in Britain during World War II. Then the officials said to the king, let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of the people, but their harm. And that's exactly, that's that's really ironic, because that's exactly what the accusation would have been during World War II. King Zedekiah said, behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchi, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. Oh, man. Yeah, pretty <laughs> so crafty. That's not even bone dry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. So, again, they're saying that he's, he's weakening the hands of the soldiers and, and he's not seeking the welfare of the people uh, of the city, uh, but speaking to their harm. But really, in reality, is that true, their accusation? I mean, yes, you know, on the surface, he's saying things that would, yeah, discourage the soldiers. He's telling them to surrender. Uh, but really, Jeremiah and God speaking through Jeremiah is seeking the best welfare of the city. And that's to um, to return to the Lord <laughs> and uh, to, to surrender in this case, uh, in this particular instance. Um, and, and, and the thing is, Matt, it's not like he was just saying this now that they've gotten to this point and they've been besieged for this long of a time. He'd been telling that from the beginning, even before they had attacked, that you need to repent or this is what's going to happen. And there's no way you're going to turn from that unless, of course, you do, as you said, return to the Lord. Yeah, exactly. This is not the first time Jeremiah's preached this, right? (laughs) This has been going on for 40 years as a prophet. So this is not a new message. Um, They should know better, right? Um, So anyway, so they say, oh, we need to kill this guy. The gang of four comes to the king. And the king, he kind of reminds me of Pontius Pilate. He kind of washes his hands of the matter like Pilate did with Jesus. Jesus. And he says, well, you do what you want. And what they do is they throw him into a cistern and and, uh, Jeremiah sinks into the mud. So just briefly, what is a cistern anyway? Um, a cistern, like those cisterns today, they catch water and uh, in the 
in that area at that time, they would typically be sort of bell shaped. So water would come through the top and then the, the bottom would be a bigger, larger area. They would actually store the water. Uh, they could be uh, as much as, you know, 15 feet deep or so. And it seems like Jeremiah, as we'll see, um, he needs to be let down into it. So it's probably one of the deeper ones. And again, uh, rations are short. Uh, there's not any food. There's not any water either. There's just mud in this cistern. And Jeremiah sinks down uh, into the muddy pit. Yeah. Do, do you get the impression that maybe the king, though, he was reluctant to deal with Jeremiah because he really in his heart knew, well, this guy probably is a prophet of God. I just don't know what to do with his prophecies, Matt, or... Yeah, yeah. So this is Zedekiah, and he's not, we don't think of him as one of the big faithful kings of Judah, but he does, I, I would say, it just seems wishy-washy. You know, yeah. he, he does it, he just kind of wants to be hands-off, he changes his mind, as we'll see, and he's just kind of, uh, he waffles on this stuff. So okay. I, I don't think he's painted really as, uh, you know, a faithful king, but certainly, uh, you know, at this point, you know, he does, as we'll see, allows Jeremiah to be rescued, but he's just kind of, uh, yeah, kind of wishy-washy yeah. here. Yeah. Double-minded, yeah. like double-minded. Maybe that's a, yeah. that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it, John. Yeah. Um, so I, I and Jeremiah here. You know, I I don't think he was expecting to be thrown into a cistern <laughs> necessarily when he got up that morning. Uh, yeah. But I, I think that that's kind of how it is with us too. That uh, you know, especially in this time of pandemic, um, there's catastrophes. There's bad things that happen to us, and we can't necessarily anticipate them. Six months ago. I don't think we would have anticipated uh, students online again and uh, college students' uh, futures up in the air and, and everything that's taking place. Now, we don't anticipate those things, and yet they happen. And we find ourselves uh, in cistern-like situations where it's kind of dark and dank and muddy and mucky. And what do you do during those times? Uh, yeah. Well, and what tickles me is it's not bad enough that you're putting me in a cistern but it's full of enough mud that I'm sinking in the mud. Like it yeah, couldn't be any worse. I know. Thank yeah. you, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I think, you know, we yeah. feel that way today too. How could this get much worse? You know, pandemic and wildfires and hurricanes and uh, elections and campaign ads and the list goes on and on. Yeah. Um, and what do we do in those times? And what does God do for us in those times? So I, I think we can learn from, from Jeremiah's experience um, and, and what takes place next. So, um, all right, we, we want to meet uh, Ebed Melech, okay, John? Uh, we want to, he's in verses seven through nine, if you'd like to read on. When Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate. Ebed Melech went from the king's house and said to the king, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern. And he will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. Yeah. So, what do we know about Ebed Melech? You know, that's a gate name that know. doesn't just roll off the tongue, but no. but an important one, at least in Jeremiah. So, what what are the couple details we have about him here? Well, he's an Ethiopian, and he's a eunuch who served in the king's house. Yeah, so. yeah. So he he's in the king's house, but he, he's an outsider, and the the, the yeah. Jews would have considered him to be an outsider, right? So he's serving the, the king of Judah, but he's from Ethiopia, he's African, uh, and not only that, he's a eunuch too, so he's been emasculated uh, as well. So he is an outsider, he is a nobody <laughs> in the eyes of Hebrew culture. Uh, but yet, 
I think the cool thing is uh, this Eben Malek is, is somebody in the eyes of God. <laughs> He's precious to God. Um, so I think we can safely assume at some point he had heard God's word from the prophet Jeremiah uh, and Ebed Melech believes. It seems as though he believes the word of God from Jeremiah. He realized that Jeremiah's life, the life of this prophet, is worth uh, saving and sparing. Um, yeah, and I think it's kind of interesting. You know, Jeremiah is called earlier a prophet to the nations. Um, and, and we see this here, uh, that this foreigner is still precious in God's eyes and someone uh, that that believes, uh, even when those those Jewish leaders who should have believed Jeremiah don't, this foreigner he does, um, and he goes to the king. Even uh, he's bold enough to do that. So, so you think when Luke writes the story in the Book of Acts about the <laughs> Ethiopian yeah. eunuch, he might be reflecting that, that God did the same thing in the Old Testament. I think send, so. Send I mean, his, boy, his, it, his it's hard in, to this foreigner. Yeah, it's hard to not see the parallels. They're both Ethiopians. They're both eunuchs, right? Yeah, and both of them uh, again believe the word of the Lord, and both of them would have been outcasts. Uh, you know, even though they're separated by centuries, both of them would have been outcasts in the eyes of the Jews. Um, he's he's a Gentile, and more than that, he's he's even uh, a eunuch. He's been castrated. I mean, he is an outsider of outsiders, right? And yep. yet in both cases, uh, God includes him. Even back in the Old Testament, right? God cares about all nations in the Old Testament, um, e even as he does in the New and even as he does today. And I, I think that's a great point, John, that uh, both cases, this is someone you would never expect for God to love and to include in, in the gospel, um, the saving gospel, but yet, yet they both are. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so from a law angle, it should make all of us uncomfortable if there are people that we have excluded for whatever reason that we think, oh, we, they shouldn't be part of our fellowship. And yet, on the other hand, when we feel like outsiders, that's a great word of comfort, too. So. Yeah, it goes both ways, doesn't it, John? Yeah. yeah. So, it, yeah, in a law sense, yeah, there's been times when, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, we, we sometimes make jokes about German Lutherans and all that. And we kind of have our own culture in some ways. But um, God forgive us if we ever exclude someone just because of culture or color of skin or, uh, you know, ethnicity, right? God is clear. Uh, again, Old and New Testament. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet to the nations and Jesus was a savior for the nations, more importantly. And uh, I think that includes all people. Uh, so, yeah, we see this here. We see it in the book of Acts, like you pointed out, with these outsiders of outsiders, uh, eunuchs from Ethiopia. Uh, so, and, you know, ironically, Ebed Mullock's doing the right thing. He has a care for the Lord's prophet, uh, where the king, the Lord's anointed, the one who should be the faithful one, just kind of as a disregard or just kind of a uh, who cares type attitude toward Jeremiah at best. And at worst, uh, he's out to get Jeremiah. So that's so interesting to see how God works through this outsider. Well, and, and I think it's also a picture of what we've said many times, that love flows from faith. Because uh, there's really no reason for Ebed Melech to have any concern about Jeremiah. I would think he'd be concerned about his own, uh, you know, safety with everything going on. But but where you find faith, you always find love, especially for people that you really wouldn't think anybody would be concerned about. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's taking a great risk here by doing this, as as we'll see. Um, okay, well, our, our time's running short here, John. I think we're. I don't know if we're going to finish the whole thing. Um, we well, might be. Well, able to so Matt, Matt, I'm yeah. just yeah. So Matt and I are actually talking now because we're off at a distance. Uh, uh, so my thought would be, do whatever you want to do to summarize at this point. But yeah, let's pick this story up uh, next uh, next uh, week, and and then maybe also spend that 
given a kind of a summary because you've been dealing with Jeremiah for a lot of time. It might be helpful to just take the whole thing and 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 talk about it as well. Would that work for you, Matt? Yeah, that would be great, John. Let's uh, let's plan on that and we kind of kind of okay. wrap it up. And uh, again, Jeremiah, not that familiar, so it might be a good chance to, to yeah give a little little uh, summary of the book. You bet. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you know. In summary, here, um, if if my, I will challenge our leaders, our readers, um, excuse me, our listeners, <laughs> people listening. <laughs> oh, gee. Okay, if you're listening, I challenge you um, before the next rest of the basics. Uh, just read the rest of Jeremiah 38, and as you read that, uh, look for uh, Jeremiah's circumstance in the pit, how it speaks to our circumstances today as we feel in a pit. And then most importantly, how does it, do you see any connections between Jeremiah and Jesus, right? So, so look for those things and, and we'll talk about them next time we get together. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. This has been Wrestling, Wrestling with, the, with basics. the Basics.